it's time to sit down and relax for the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A with your host, Doug. Hey there. Welcome back. And this is interview number two. Very exciting. So last week's sequel was Major League Two. And as promised this week, I am interviewing someone who was involved in the film. And that person is actor and improviser and Jersey native, Jason Kravitz. It was Jason's first movie, and he had the small role of Roger Dorn's accountant in the movie. He has been in so many shows, anywhere from Curb Your Enthusiasm to the most recent episode of Big Bang. But he is most known for his two-year run on ABC's hit The Practice. It was pilot season when he agreed to chat, so he was still out from an audition. But you know what's great? He still took the time to talk to me, which really meant a lot. So coming up are stories about the Fonz, how you get notified when you're going to be killed off a show, and so much more. I was going to be out in time, and then I forgot to download the app till just now. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. Where are we at? Working today, or? Uh, no, just aud- well, auditioning is work, man. That's what yeah, that, that is yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> tool I found on the street, and I just got official permission to use it. So, nice. <laughs> some nice valet. Look at that. Where Sweet. are you, man? I'm in Jersey, so not too far from where you grew up. Well, that's true. In my early years there, I grew up in Maryland mostly, but I did. I was born in Jersey. Oh, you were? Where at? Yeah. Born in Passaic and grew up in uh, Flanders for until I was eight. Really? Wow. I'm not too far from Flanders. I'm in New Providence. Oh, yeah. Sure. Look at that. I never knew that. It didn't uh, say that on your Wikipedia. I, had, <laughs> I, I really got to redo my... Somebody else did my Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my son pointed out to me that somebody... We erased it. Somebody put like something about uh, that I was a uh, marmot farmer. Somebody ah. added some little thing about me being a, a award-winning a prize-winning marmot farmer onto my wikipedia page I'm like, dude I, I gotta i gotta i gotta start on my wikipedia page yeah yeah no a lot of people do mess around with those but so one thing i noticed when i went on your imdb i don't know if it was by accident by whoever puts the credits in but they had your last name spelled with a z sometimes yeah yeah it's usually an accident because that's the more common way to spell the name yeah yeah but, you know, I look back, I've been doing a lot of family tree research, actually, and I realized the Z, the S in my name only goes back about to my grandfather. Oh, wow. Sometimes with a Z, sometimes with an S, but before that, all my relatives were Z. So I don't know why I caused myself the hassle because <laughs> everybody spells it with a Z first anyway, but uh, it's, a, it's nice to be a unique uh, spelling. Oh, definitely. So what, what started your acting? Because you started really young. Well, my father was involved in community theater back uh, growing up. He was he worked for IBM, but he was always doing community theater, and it became kind of a family event. But I think even before that, I was always my family was always very performy. At least the kids were. My yeah. brother and I they were really just always, you know, singing, and my my sisters too were singing and acting and doing funny things and cracking each other up. But I, I just I think I knew back in the youngest days that this is what I was going to be doing, and Somehow, 50 years later, I'm still doing it. So. Well, that's great. Yeah, you were able to follow your dream and keep it going. Now, how did Powerhouse come about? Ah, Powerhouse. Yes, the infamous Powerhouse. Well, you know, living in D.C., my parents were looking for opportunities for us to do theater and work if we wanted to. Um, and there was this place in Virginia called the Educational Film Center. And uh, 
my uh, my uh, parents brought us down just to kind of get on file with the Educational Film Center. They were always looking for kids because they did kids shows. And then this opportunity came up to the Educational Film Center. And uh, I auditioned. I was just very precocious and I was very loud. <laughs> <laughs> and that ended up getting me this role. And then I spent you know, the better part of a year working on this television show part-time while I was still in seventh grade. And uh, it was great. It was a good show. I think it was a really, it was a really educational show, but it was actually a really entertaining show for PBS at that, at that time. And I think the only reason it didn't continue is um, it was the beginning of the Reagan administration and they slashed funding for educational programming. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. When I looked up to watch all the episodes are on YouTube, if you ever want to watch them. Are they? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I watched a couple of them, and it was cool. One of the comments on the video was about you. Somebody saw you when you were on Broadway a few years back, and yeah. they walked up to you, and they said, hey, I remember you from Powerhouse. And you were like, oh, man, how did you remember that? And it was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's a nice memory. I'm very proud of that time in my life. And uh, it's still strange to me, because after that, I didn't do anything professionally for years. I, I went back to school. I, went to, yeah. I was happy to do theater in high school. I didn't have any presumption of like you know grandeur at that point and moving on into the world and, and then after that I went to college locally I was happy to go to school close to home and in in the places I knew so I didn't pursue New York I didn't pursue you know Hollywood I just kept going where I was and, uh, and then I stayed for years after that in, in the DC area until somebody said to me why don't you go to New York and I'm like I don't know I'm, I'm fine and they said but you should try it. And I was like, just got through a breakup. And I thought, you know, <laughs> maybe I should. And then it just kind of took off from there. So that's like the moment, if there was a Jason Kravitz biopic, that breakup, yeah. and then it like, it pushed right. you to move. That's page 10. And then you <laughs> there. Exactly. That's the magical, the magical uh, friend, <laughs> the wizard that comes and says, follow your heart. Yes. Yes. So one, one thing that I found pretty awesome, and I wonder how you got into it, was when you were at Maryland, you started an improv group. Yeah, that's interesting. You should bring that up. I was talking about that uh, just last night. Um, oh, look at that. Because, yeah, there was a, a, we, you know, I was always looking for things to do. And, and uh, I had a bunch of uh, friends who were just a lot of fun to hang out with. And we were in the theater department. And there was a group from Yale called the purple crayon they were the established group they were like the first official improv college improv group they were actually uh founded by uh del close oh okay yeah in, in the modern age and uh del kind of did workshops with them they started a group and then they came down we had a connection to them so they came to uh, our school and did a workshop and we were like hey this is fun so we started a group about I don't know. Originally, there were probably like 12 of us that narrowed down quickly to about seven. Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuck it out and started performing. And that group uh, is still going 30-something years later, 32, 33, 33 years this year. And uh, I had nothing to do with keeping it going. (laughs) (laughs) We just did it. And then people kept going and kept joining the group. And it kept kept growing and changing. And... uh, I was having dinner last night with someone who was in the group 15 years after I was. Oh, wow. And he's been out of the group for about 15 years. So <laughs> it's a crazy kind of like, it's been going on for generations. And, uh, 
and the things that we did back then that were just silly <laughs> became uh, became more uh, you know it's now doctrine where where they're doing it. But I guess I'm really proud of that the fact that that's going, although I feel like I had very little to do with the uh, longevity of it, but we really did enjoy the time doing it. And, and it, I stopped doing improv after that until very recently. Oh, you started doing it again? Yeah, I started doing it. I, I got frustrated with what I was seeing. I'd see a lot of improv, um, but I wasn't doing it as much with people. I, just, I didn't like the style of improv that was going on. I saw stuff I liked here and there, but it was very casual. And to me, improv always has a sense of magic to it. You know, it should yeah. feel you should feel like you're part of something larger. It shouldn't just be like funny and silly. It, sh- it should feel like a-, a magic trick that you're part of. So I started creating my own show that is a, a one-man improvised uh, musical show. Wow. Uh, the Cabaret Night, and uh, which I'll be doing. I'll be back in New York doing it at Birdland in April. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, and it's a pretty cool... It's a pretty cool show. It's called Off the Top, and I've been doing it for about four or five years. We've done it in, you know, several countries and and uh, around the globe. We were in Australia last summer and uh, London. Uh, be back in London in June. You know, it's 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 taken on a bit of a life of its own. Uh, it's a very unique show, I think. And uh, but again, for me, improv is like a magic act, and and uh, so I wanted to bring that kind of sense of heightened theater back to it. So. That's awesome. Did you perform that when you first started learning, obviously from you learned from the source with Dell, Dell taught the Yale kids and then you learned from them. Was it, was it in like the long form, like Harold or was it more like short uh, form? We learned the Harold. Oh, great. We're not very good at the Harold. Yeah. I think what we were really, uh, we were good at is kind of maintaining the integrity of what we were taught. We, really focused in our rehearsals instead of focusing on like funny games or uh you know uh being silly we you know we we really focused on building trust building learning how to build scenes properly how to you know uh uh, how to how to start working together focus working on focus games focus games focus games so we were all like really really connected within that group so that you felt like things were seamless. You know, in my, in my mind, the idea of improv is you're going to create a scene in f- collaborating with the audience, a scene that looks like it had been done a hundred times before, but it's the first time it's ever been done. Yeah. It should look, to me, it should look like, oh my gosh, did you guys write that ahead of time? That had to be written because how did you know that was going to come? Because it looked like you were so prepared with your answer, but it's, that's the idea of it. You got to get to that level of seamlessness. And I think that's what we focused on. We tried to focus on, um, not always successfully, but <laughs> I think that level of like kind of simple storytelling integrity is what we worked on. Heralds for us were just a little bit out of our depth. We, we, cause again, we learned once and then they left. Yeah. Book <laughs> <laughs> so of guidelines that they'd thrown out to us, you know, with lots of good advice, but we weren't watching if we were watching Harold's on a regular basis, if we were studying Harold's on a regular basis, we might've had a better shot at doing them, but we were much more short form than long form. Yeah. No, you said it best. Like when you do improv, I took a few classes, me and my wife lived out in Portland, Oregon for a few years. So I took a few classes out there and just that I always played sports growing up and I never thought of something like that could have that same mindset, but it's all about trusting everyone is if you're going to, go out with a choice and put yourself out there. If no one like comes steps with you, 
it's just a bad time. So no, that makes a lot of sense. That's great. So how did Major League Two come about? Yeah. Was that well, in just, New York? No, actually, it was when I was living in D.C. They shot it in Baltimore, as you may know. Yeah. They shot it at uh, Oriole, the new Oriole Park at Camden Yards when it was <laughs> new. And uh, they were looking for local hires for certain shows. And if you work in the Washington, D.C. area, you're also working with casting directors in Baltimore. And the Baltimore casting director, Pat Moran, who went on to do, you know, The Wire, amongst other things. Oh, wow. You know, been you know in the news quite a bit in the last five ten years but pat was like the baltimore casting director for uh for movies um so you had to be on these people's radar and i was and i got this audition from her okay great so i get called in and uh i remember i had come from theater Theater. i'd never done on camera anything before i'd done no television i'd done no movies so i'm doing i mean except for powerhouse which was it's you know it's 13 it was a whole other animal so this is suddenly like all right here i go you know so my lines i remember my lines because they were so basic it was two months he says what do you mean two months you have enough money to run the team for two months he says there's another four months in the season and i say you better cut expenses any way you can or something like that. That, that one, I don't remember, but I was like two months. Yeah. That was like smaller. And I said two months. And he was like smaller, <laughs> two months. She says smaller. And I was like two months. She was like, that's it. <laughs> that's and I was like, great. Oh, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and that it wasn't working. So I, um, and then I got the part and then I went shot one day with Corbin. I had those lines and I had one more line that was cut, which was, uh, gosh, I don't even remember what the line was, but I had, uh, I had one more line that I said to Corbin and I remember watching the movie going, Hey, I had four lines. They yeah. cut one. Damn it. <laughs> but, uh, but it was a big deal. And Corbin was uh, goofy and, uh, somewhat, um, uh, silly. He was making faces at me from off the camera. He thought oh, really? he didn't know it was my first movie. So I <laughs> guess he felt like he didn't see my nerves, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was able to maintain face. And, uh, yeah, so that was a very easy, easy, uh, simple job to get. You just went in an audition, but I'm glad I was able to learn on the spot, you know, on the fly, learn my craft. So. Yeah. And when you did that, did they just, uh, they didn't give you the whole script. They just give you like your lines. That's yeah, it. They your pages. By the way, sure. this is the lovely man letting me use his stool. Thank you. Thank sir. you. Thank you, sir. No problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's so great. So yeah, it was, uh, uh, it was a, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was just an interesting little simple gig and, and, uh, yeah, Pat was great and I'm glad I got that gig. That's awesome. So what do you think of the movie compared to, because when I grew up, for some reason I had so many sequels and that's why I started this. Like my dad, the only VHSs we had were yeah. sequels. So I watched this movie a million times and I've seen the original too, but now going back uh, and I just watched it yesterday. It's so funny. The movie was five years afterwards, like filming wise, like coming out, but in the realm of the movie, it's the next year. I don't know why yeah. they did that. I don't know why either. You know, I don't remember even seeing the first one until after I saw the second one. Um, and uh, I think it holds up. Oh, you know, it's a great movie. Yeah. I think it 
I think Major League Two is as good, if not better, than Major League. I, I just think there's some really fun stuff and great character development. And uh, yeah. Charlie Sheen was at his best. He's still great. And uh, some great old character actors involved with that movie. Just really just great. And uh, I liked it. I think it's a fun movie. Oh, yeah. But then, like, it's so hard for, like, Omar Epps. It's like they could have traded him away. It's so funny, like, within a year. But uh, no, I love that movie. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, it had some weird moments to it. But, you know, I was psyched at that time. I was psyched to actually get to go to Camden Yards on an off day and kind of check it out. That's awesome. Yeah. Kind of cool. Was it opened yet? Yeah. It was opened already? Okay. Yeah. I think so pretty sure but i you know watching it anybody in maryland watching that is like that's not cleveland cleveland's <laughs> a clock tower like that that's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> and then not to and then and then you headed up to new york pretty soon after that because you had that sketch show oh yeah the Crompton junction yeah uh, after that i i was still doing theater at the time and then i went to new york soon after um went to uh uh moved to new york and then couldn't get a job, couldn't get an agent. Um, I got some commercial work going, but you know, my, my theater credits from DC and major league two and powerhouse <laughs> didn't carry the weight enough to get me an agent. Uh, so I was, uh, I started writing my own material and my own sketch material with a group called a rumble in the red room. Uh, it was just a collective of writers, writers and artists. And we just, you know, would show up every Monday with new material. And there was one guy that I had been friends with from DC who also moved up and we started writing things together. And then we developed enough material to, uh, to make our own show. We did it in New York, a bunch to very little, <laughs> very little acclaim. We mm-hmm. had great crowds of friends, but no agents come and see us. Yeah. So we were, yeah, let's take it to LA. I know an agent out there. We did two shows in LA and the next thing you know, we're being invited to the Aspen comedy festival. Sweet. We got an agent, we got a manager and we started, then I moved to LA and started working out here. Wow. That's awesome. Do you miss doing sketch? Um, no, I kind of do my, I've done other versions of sketch over time. Um, you know, sketch was supposed to be a means to an end for me, Okay, But, but also I think I've gotten to a point in my creative life where I want to create things that are, uh, that have a little more depth than sketch. A lot. Of, I have a lot of great sketches that I could do, but then I'm like, how much time do I want to spend? Yeah. Right now, sketch is not a live event anymore. Sketch it's not. So if I, boy, if video cameras in their current form and the, and the digital world existed in the late 90s, that's all we would have done. We would have had so much of our material on on uh, camera. and yeah. uh, But that wasn't the case back then. So everything we have is, you know, was meant for stage and stayed on stage. And I actually think sometimes about like taking some of those pieces and turning them into video uh, material. And I just, I get bored. <laughs> like, how about something new with some yeah. depth interest with a different, I'm a different person now than I was 20 years ago. Let's, let's do something else. So no, that's good that you're cre- creative enough to do that. Some people would go back to that well over and over again. So that's great that you use something and it worked out you adapt it and it got you an agent it got me where i am you know and then i was out here for six months and i landed the job of my life which was the practice when i was did that for you know two years yeah that established me in the business so the sketch stuff led me to a network drama which led me to my career so i can't knock it 
And it was great. I watched a few episodes over the last week, and uh, it's great. Your first episode, you're prosecuting the Fonz. I was. That was the craziest thing. Working that every week. was the yeah. That was, and the episode itself was crazy. <laughs> Henry was a is is never mind what is the nicest guy in Hollywood. No, oh, yeah. Everybody My- knows about him. He's just the nicest guy. And when I was shooting that episode. He's like your nice uncle, you know, and <laughs> he's going, that's very good. You did a nice job there. Very good. How are you? It's very nice. So he's always like, you know, chatting with you and being very supportive. But there was one moment where I was like prosecuting him hard and I finished the scene and he gave me a look. He kind of went, he kind of went. And I thought for that moment, shook my hand and I thought, oh my God, Fonzie thinks I'm cool. Yeah. <laughs> It was that, oh my God, it's Fonzie. Fonzie's here. And then about a week after the show ended, I got an envelope in the mail and he had taken photographs through uh, throughout the uh, episode. And he sent me pictures of, uh, of myself with the director, of myself oh, wow. with other actors. And I was just like, why would he go out of his way to do that? Well, the answer is because he's the nicest guy in show business. Yeah, and maybe he remembers his moment when he started, and he wished maybe he had something like cap- captured. My he wife, must, he was busy from the moment he got out of Yale. So you know. yeah, <laughs> yeah. My wife had the opportunity. She did an internship in New York City with a photographer, and one of the shoots was Henry Winkler, and she said he was like the nicest guy. Yeah, he he, he couldn't be nicer. That's great. That's so yeah. awesome. And then your last episode, that was pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, no kidding. You got tricked by the grandma. And then yeah. Gunned him. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, man. Yeah, that was tough to, that was, when I got the call that I was getting killed off that episode, it was like being uninvited to Thanksgiving dinner. I, I was having such a great time on that show. Never mind with the cast and the, and the words, but with the crew. And everybody became a family. And then you're like, oh, you're not going to be here anymore. You're like, okay, I guess that's okay. <laughs> yeah. The rapport you had with Dylan McDermott, like right from that first episode. And that was yeah. the first one you shot. It was like in order. The first one you did was with Henry Winkler. Yep. That's great. Right from the bat, you guys had like a yeah. really good. Yeah. Dylan and I got along great. And uh, I got along with everybody in that, in that group. I really liked that group of people. And I've kept in touch with a few of them over the years. That's great. And, uh, and, you know, the, uh, even David Kelly, I've kept in touch with a little bit over the years and, and he's, you know, I owe him my career. So, you know, I, at first I was really bitter about being killed off that show. And then I realized, Oh, you know, you live by the David Kelly, <laughs> you die, David Kelly, you just accept it for what it is. And it was, it was a great run and a great character and it got me on the map. Yeah. Do they, uh, how do they do that? Your agent calls you or does somebody bring you in and said, Hey, you're going to get killed. David called me. Oh, okay. David called me directly and said, Hey, and he never calls you. Oh, you barely see David. David is an elusive writer. He's a, he's a hermit. He'll go and do his thing and write however many shows he's writing brilliantly. (laughs) And then, and then every once in a while he'll come down to the set or he'll come to the shoot or, but um, he called me, and I was, I was coming right out of my therapist's office, so I remember turning around and going right back in after we finished the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hey, but you yeah. know what? Even though you got killed off the show, a lot of characters get killed off on a lot of TV shows, but they gave you a really nice uh, like package, like highlight at the end of it. 
which oh, is pretty cool. At a funeral after that. Yeah. Most people don't do a funeral. They just no. Listen, I remember the people who were on Oz back in the day, right? The yeah, yeah. Take place in prison. And literally, they'd get the script, and they told me they would, like, turn the pages. <laughs> Terrified about what was on the other page if they were still <laughs> going to be there. But for me, I like to say that uh, you know, my that show was a took place in a city where they didn't even have the death penalty. So it's like no one dies on this show <laughs> for me. Yeah, no, I, I actually really, uh, I did get a nice send off, and it was the hundredth episode. It was, well. yeah, big deal. Yeah, and, and then because of that, you were regular on Hollywood Squares. I got to, I got enough attention. I wasn't a regular, but I did a couple episodes of Hollywood Squares. I got to do a lot of game shows. Yeah. Uh, I did. I, I did a great. I wasn't a regular on. I've got a secret on. Oh, okay. Well, and that was, you know, I got to sit on the couch and be a panelist next to uh, Amy Yazbek and Terry Gar and Jim J. Bullock. I mean, it was like insanely fun. That's that awesome. Thing. It was really really fun. So. I've had great experiences working with a lot of people, a lot of my, a lot of my, um, you know, idols in this yeah. business got to work with. Uh, over yeah, the Terry, years. Terry Gar, you're growing up watching Young Frankenstein, and yeah, and I, the next I, got to, I got to work with Peter Boyle on Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh wow! I got a couple of those uh, Young Frankenstein people. I got to work. I met Cloris Leachman, although I didn't work directly with her on uh, Raising Hope. Oh, okay. So I didn't get to work with Gene Wilder. Didn't get to work with Madeline Kahn, sadly. And Mel Brooks is still around, so there's still a chance. Yeah, maybe Spaceballs too, if he if he really does it. Three, maybe four. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> That's great. And then you were on the last ap- episode of Friends. How did that come about? I got a call from my agent, going, "Look, they have a scene. They wanna. They wanted a character for this. I called Marta Kaufman, who uh, you know was one of the creators of the show, and said, "How about Jason Kravitz?" And she said, "I love Jason Kravitz." Just give him the part. So I just was given the part. Now, meanwhile, in 10 years of that show, I never auditioned for it once. So I don't know how much Marta Coffin loved, Marta Coffin loved me. But I'm glad she loved me before it was all over. So, um, yeah, that was a crazy scene because uh, that one they were keeping really, they were playing really close to the chest because they didn't want to reveal any of the information about what happens in the show. Yeah. So, uh they, um, so they gave me, they didn't give me anything. They, for the, for the camera blocking the, the day before we, sh- I showed up on a Thursday, they gave me my, they showed up, they gave me my page. I went, I rehearsed, they, they put me in my dressing room. They called me when it was my turn to rehearse my page, my scene. I rehearsed my scene. Then they took the page back. <laughs> and I left and you know we were talking near what that was early 2000s right so yeah there was cell phones were really not cell phones with cameras good cameras were really yeah. not there so no one was taking a picture of their page so they knew that they could take it and no one would ever see it they were really trying to keep it, the story line quiet so the next day I showed up and I was there for the day and uh, they just asked me to sign a waiver saying I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't share the information. Of course, I, you know, why would you? Yeah, yeah. Um, unless I would pay you a great deal of money, which <laughs> no one was offering. Yeah. But it was really odd because it was a very emotional experience for the people there um, that were there, had been there for 10 years 
But for the guest stars, this was like our second day of work. So it was awkward. And I remember Paul Rudd was recurring on that season. And he and I were standing together. And I said to him at one point, they were doing a scene and somebody, maybe Jennifer Aniston, started to cry. And they had to hold taping because she was crying over in Central Perk. And I turned to Paul and I said, this is awkward, isn't it? And he said, yeah, it's like being invited to watch someone take a bath. (laughs) Which is exactly what I felt when I was watching the Oscars and watching uh, Lady Gaga uh, oh yeah, you are you are now going to uh, to take a walk with me, do a very LA thing, and go feed the meter. Feed the meter. Uh, <laughs> I can still converse. So yeah, awesome. so it was a really weird experience. And then at the end, everybody was crying and hugging, and and I'm just standing there going, "Okay, uh, hey everybody." <laughs> so it was a little it was a little weird. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. And then you had the opportunity to work on Curb. Oh yeah, that was great. Great. Now, did you? Now, did you audition prior in the earlier seasons and it was like a callback or did you audition that season? Uh, I auditioned for one episode in like the second or third season of the show and I didn't get the role. And I remembered the audition because Larry was, he stopped me in the middle because I was talking too much and he didn't like what I was saying. Uh. <laughs> and so I realized when I, the second time I went in, which was, you know, five or six years later, um, I made a plan and that was to, uh, talk less, you know, and make him the star of the scene. So I, uh, I walked in and, you know, they gave me the whole, they give you a setup. They give you a little like description of the scene, but it's all improvised. So yeah. you really, there's no dialogue. And, you know, mine was something about, you know, you have to, um, Larry, you know, I don't know if you know the setup of the scene, but it was like, well, Larry's going to have hit your car and he's coming to, you know, and and, uh, you're going to ask him a favor because he's so, um, uh, he's so good at speaking his mind. You're going to ask him to say something to your wife. uh, And in in lieu of that, you will rip up the the, the car uh, bill that he owes you. And so I just walked in and instead of going, Hey, listen, Larry, I got a, I got a plan. Listen, I, I, I just walked in and I sat down and they said, you know, Larry, I really admire you. That was it. And he was like, <laughs> really? You admire me. Why, why do you admire me? I'm like, Oh, you know, because you're so, you speak your mind. You don't censor yourself. He's like, thank you. And I'm like, yeah. And so he's like, what is it coming out of? And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, I, I'm not like you. I'm not good at that. I, I have a hard time speaking my mind. And you know, my wife, my wife has just got this, you know, she's this way. And, and so I just like let it build naturally. And yeah. it got me apart. And I had and, a great time. Yeah. And that was the scene. That was the scene. Exactly. That was the so from that audition, they took that and that was it. That was it. Yeah. So That's awesome. but I, you know, I also got to do a bunch of other stuff. I got to, play a little golf in that thing and you know i had a great time it was a really good gig i was very proud to do it not too long after that you went back to broadway right around that time like 2012 uh, uh, yeah i think right after that i was back on broadway doing uh relatively speaking with uh a bunch of uh old television stars and movie stars um 
and uh, in in plays written by Ethan Cohen and Woody Allen and Elaine May. It's great. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. So I got to work with a bunch of people I liked already in that scenario too. You know, so from Marklin Baker to Grant Show to Marlo Thomas and Richard Libertini and uh, just just a great group of people to be associated with. And, you know, and Julie Kavner and, and, you know, and Woody Allen, honestly, was a really strange experience to work with Woody, you know. Um, he's, a, he's a very interesting character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll tell you. Clearly very prolific. And uh, he's, uh, I w- you know, he's a, not an actor's director, I would say. All right. He doesn't really uh, help you find the thing. His his uh, his on stage at least. His whole thing is uh, say it correct, say the joke correctly, and say it loudly. And if it's not, and he'll tell you, you said the joke correctly, but you didn't say it loud enough. Oh wow, you that's interesting. You said it loudly, but you you missed the the nuance. <laughs> uh, I can't tell you how to do it, but I know I would get a laugh if I said it. Uh, you know, um, you stepped on that person's laugh, and so nobody heard that joke. I mean, he's very, he was very specific about it, but uh, but it was still a great experience, you know, I had a great time doing it. Yeah, what, what do you think would happen if you were able to go to a time machine and talk to 18 year old Jason and said all the things that you did up to this point? What would I say? What do you think your reaction would be? Like, no way, come on. I would be surprised at who I worked with, but I, I think I always believed that I was going to do something like this. I don't think I had any other doubt that I'd be somehow involved in doing something. That's great. So, so that was your, you had the blinders on the whole time. There was no other, like, what'd you go to school for? Theater? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I was always doing it. I guess I didn't really care that much about where I was doing it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I had a specific goal. I think I always wanted to do what I was doing, just more of it and get paid better for it. I mean, I had my moments of doubt and I had my moments of depression and trying to figure out if this was even a feasible thing or, but you know, you grow and you learn why you're having those feelings and then you can decide whether you want to stick in it or not. And I did, I just wanted, I kept wanting to do it, even though the motivations behind why I was doing it changed as, as they do, as you get older. And I still love it. I still love doing it. I love being on a set. I love being on a lot. I just did an episode of the Big Bang Theory that should air soon, and just being on that on the Warner Brothers soundstage and being on a uh, on a set where people are working is still is still one of my favorite places to be. Um, and I love being in theater. I love being involved with other actors and creating new things. I love being creative and, and continue to create my own things. So I, I'm very lucky that I've had the opportunities to do these type of things. And, and yeah, a lot of it is luck, uh, being in the right place at the right time. But I think no matter where I was, if I stayed in D.C. the whole time or I moved to New York, I would still be doing this. I'd be doing something like this. And as long as I was busy, I, I think I'd be pretty fulfilled. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. But I would tell the 18-year-old Jason to probably shut up a lot more. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Just don't talk so much. Just. (laughs) What would you say? Which role do you get recognized most for? Like you're on the street. Somebody stops you. Do they say like, Hey, I know you from. Uh, It depends. Sometimes it's if I did something really recently. Okay. Uh, Like the Kaminsky method. I got recognized for a bit. A lot of everybody loves Raymond. 
a lot of curb, depending on where you are. Curb, yeah. bigger. But a lot of the time, I just get. Did you go? Where did you go to school? Do you live in? Do you live in uh, Beth Page? Do you? Did you grow up? Wait a second. Do you have kids in Westchester? There's like, I I think because I'm a I've been in over fifty television shows. It I'm just the guy who's in your living room when you least expect it. So you feel like you just had a conversation with me and you know me from somewhere, but I wasn't there long enough for you to like discern, oh, you're that guy. I'm just like that familiar face that keeps showing up. So I usually get, is your name Scooter? Did you go to Yale? No. So, um, yeah, I, I get a lot of that stuff. Some people don't believe me. They're sure that I, they know me from their country club or something. And I'm like, yeah, right. No. You know me from the one-bedroom apartment on uh, Chelsea. That's, you know, that was where I lived. I don't know. It's a weird uh, it, It's a weird thing, this this kind of weird mid-level celebrity where people know you, but they don't know why they know you. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes I think it's for the best. <laughs> I yeah. think I tell people, I'm like, I'm just happy to be recognized at all. That's fine with me. They're like, I'm sorry, I don't know where I know you from. I don't know your name. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> even recognizing me. It means... I'm still viable somewhere in this business. No, definitely. And it's pretty cool. Obviously, I think it's great that you have the opportunity to work on so many shows and work with so many different people. So like in one year, you're working on, you know, Big Bang, Kaminsky Method, working with, you know, Michael Douglas, you know, Alan Arkin, like, and then the next, then the next week you could be working with, you know, somebody else. So it's pretty cool that you have the ability to do that. And then you learn your, you keep honing your craft, meeting different people in the industry. So that's great. It's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm, you know, I was putting together a list recently of, of people I've gotten the good fortune to work with over the years, and it's a pretty ridiculous list. Yeah. And, wow. I, I guess I work with a few people here and there, and uh, you know, I, I'm hoping it'll continue. I've got some stuff coming up in the spring that's I've got some celebrities attached to it, where I've got little bits here and there, and, and I'm hoping that one day I'm in a position where somebody does that with me and says, "You know who I got to work with." <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I can't remember his name. I think it's Scooter. He went to Yale. Scooter, yeah. Well, that's great. So I know you have, I think big, that Big Bang episode comes out, I think March 7th, I thought oh, I saw. So? Yeah, I think it's pretty soon. That's what I had on IMDb. But. Yeah, they got a pretty quick turnaround. Well, that's yeah. good to know. So how long, ago, how long ago did you shoot that? A couple weeks ago. Well, that's really fast, isn't it? Yeah, a month. I think I shot it. Yeah, I shot it around, started shooting around the 7th, so. It's like a three week to a month turnaround, but they get once you're in season twelve. Yeah, shows this, you know. So no, that's true. Yeah. So yeah. what? When is that? Uh, that shows at the Birdland Theater in April. Birdland, Birdland Theater right. in, uh, at the end of April, April twenty eighth and 29th. All right. If you go to BirdlandJazz.com, you can find it. If you're in New York or Jersey, come see it. Totally. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not too far. Well, come so, on in. That'd be great, man. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And your stories have been amazing. Thank you. That's nice of you to say. Thanks. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll talk to you soon. That was so much fun. That story about the Fonz. God, Henry Winkler is a god. Well, Jason was great. If you want to check him out in other things, he was in Kimmy Schmidt, Major Crimes. I know I mentioned Curb. But if you want to see him locally and you're, if you're in the tri-state area, he's going to be performing improv, uh, an improvised cabaret, all the lyrics made up on the spot, which is really awesome. It's called Off the Top. 
And you can find tickets at birdlandjazz.com. And it's April 28th and 29th. And now it's time for the trailer for next week's movie. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. What goes around comes around. Welcome back to Caddyshack. Hey, Ty, you're looking well. Hey, nice to see you, Vinny. Uh, Ted, whatever. Bushwood Country Club. So, you want to join old Bushwood, huh? Where snobbery is a way of life. We just don't feel your Bushwood material. I want to buy Bushwood Country Club. Well, let me ask you this. Do I own it? But now its members are going to get what they deserve. What do you think? Isn't it great? Huh? It's great, huh? isn't it? Huh? Good God. The Shack is back. Our members will never stand for this. It's a story of high culture. <laughs> Woo! I was looking for a... Polygrip? No, no. That loose stuff you put your combs in? No. And subculture. <laughs> I got you now, you little furry freak. Sophisticated ladies. Ooh, you did that on purpose. Well, I won't be a caddy all my life. I'm going to car wash school in the fall. And perfect gentlemen. Have you ever seen a crisp $50 bill? I tell you what, if I pull the arrow out, will you please suck out the poison for me? Caddyshack 2. Is there any money in it for me? Caddyshack 2. It had to happen. And it's right around master season, so it's perfect for golf fans. You talk about Dan Aykroyd, his voice. Jackie Mason trying to be Rodney Dangerfield. Well... It was a lot of fun. Check it out. Don't forget to review, rate, and share our podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Sequels Only. Good night.